Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing very well. Starting the show as I'm cleaning up my desk, threw out some trash as you doing that intro. So my apologies if anyone heard that, but I'm doing very, very well. Uh, this is... What used to be a nice halfway point of the season that has now turned into just below, just a tease, but so great. So many kind of like little mini storylines happening, which I think we're diving into a little bit today. And actually, last couple of weeks, I think we're starting to hit on some stuff. Stuff starting to come to light. That Ravens performance wasn't out of nowhere, guys. So I think this is just uh, – I'm very excited. Uh, long story short, I'm very excited. A couple of big trend things we're going to hit on the over the course of the show. It's Halloween weekend, though. Do you have any Halloween weekend plans? Feels like a big weekend for you. Uh, doing a little theme costume stuff with uh, my, my son and my wife. We're doing a little Wizard of Oz theme. Oh, it's great. He, I yes, love it. Love he is it. the lion. Uh, I'm the Tin Man. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and my wife is the Scarecrow, actually. Not, not a little subverting a little yeah, expectations I like there that. So, i yeah. like that that's no, it's fun. good no uh no but yeah just just hanging uh not too much i think uh trying to hang some friends i have to, i'm watching my son for a lot my wife has some photography she does so i will be it's a lot of dad son bon- bonding time on halloween weekend wouldn't have it any other way might have to show him like the thing or something like that that's it's his great, favorite poster that i have in my time. office i was gonna say, I thought I you were gonna say it's his favorite movie <laughs> no 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 that's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I have a thing poster and he loves it just because of the coloration on yeah, it and yeah. everything. So he like loves like messing with it and stuff. So I don't know. So maybe in about 15 years. Like you alluded to, we're getting toward the midway point of the season. We're creeping toward it. And I think some stuff is starting to come to light with specific teams, but also league wide that's starting to feel real, where we have enough of a sample size where it's worth sinking our teeth into some of this. And the topic that we wanted to tackle today is the offensive struggles that we have seen in the NFL through the first seven weeks of the season. Look at any stat that you want to. Points per game, EPA per play, success rate, explosive play rate. All of them are at nearly historic lows. And when I say historic, this is going back to 2000 when True Media and the database that we use started tracking some of this stuff. All the other stuff got wiped out at Y2K. That's right. That's right. This is what we're relying on. So we've got all these numbers that are at 20, 25-year lows. And we wanted to explore some of the potential root causes for some of the issues and the struggles that offenses have had over the first two months of the season. So when you started digging into this and you were looking into what some of these issues might be, what do you think the main culprit is for why we've seen these offensive struggles through the first two two months of the season, essentially? And I, I am guilty of this, but I think also we, we frame it like, oh, offense is down. But you also have to look at what the other side of the ball is doing. I think that is what leads to what's going on right now, is that defensive coaches and players are smarter, better, and better equipped to deal with the, the different problems offense have been giving them 
for the past two years, three years, five years, 10 years, is that what has been issues before are not as big of issues now because of just how smart they are and just how much better, more experience that they have defending this type of stuff. So I think that is the root of all of this. And on the other, on the flip side, on the offensive side is that this is the youngest group of quarterbacks that we've seen in decades. Yeah. Uh, so that is a perfect, perfect storm of low scoring, but also it's still good ball, but it's just that leads to the low scoring, which sometimes is, you know, not as fun to watch, I think, for some people. I thought that the bottom of the league would be more efficient offensively this year than they were last year, just because a lot of the worst offenses in the NFL, there was projected improvement. The Patriots were getting Bill O'Brien. The Steelers Mm -hmm. were in year two with the Kenny Pickett experiment. The Jets were getting Aaron Rodgers instead of Zach Wilson. The Bears, who were awful on offense last year, you could project some improvement based on some of the talent that they added on that side of the ball. And that hasn't really happened. You know, there have been some really bad offenses again. The Steelers just stayed bad for the most part. Zach Wilson is still the quarterback of the Jets. And you have some of these really young quarterbacks. The Panthers are dragging some of these numbers down. So that bottom of the league, that bottom quarter of the league is as bad as it's been in years past. And that's one area where I thought there might be some improvement. But another area that I thought might swing a little bit back, not toward offense, but just kind of change the rules of engagement, is that we had come into this world where it was a lot of too high shell-based coverages and allowing teams to kind of attack underneath, limit explosive plays. Mm -hmm. And there are some off defenses around the league that they're just getting punched in the face over and over and over again by either the run game or just kind of efficient underneath passing. So I wondered, are defenses going to get impatient? Are they going to start to push maybe in the other direction because they're tired of having to live in this world? And that hasn't happened. Defenses across the league have kind of held the line And it's created and kind of enhanced this ecosystem where playing offense is hard. So if you look at explosive plays specifically, in 2018, through seven weeks, we had an 11.8% explosive play rate throughout the NFL. This year through seven weeks, it's 10.2%. That may not seem like that big of a change. That's 111 explosive plays through a seven-week span. That's about four per team. That's a lot through seven games. So the explosive plays have continued to go down. Defenses are making offenses around the NFL earn it. And then, as they matriculate the ball down the field, red zone efficiency has just completely tanked this year. If you're looking at the biggest gap, in my opinion, not only between this year and the last five years, but this year and last year, we are right now at a 70, or excuse me, a 53.5% red zone efficiency number this year. That is compared to 56.5% last year. It's 70% in goal-to-go situations. It's 72% last year. Those are huge fall-offs from season to season. So defenses, offenses aren't getting explosive plays, and when they kind of bend but don't break all the way to the end zone, defenses are not allowing touchdowns. So those, to me, are kind of the two biggest factors where there's a lack of explosives and teams are just not functioning and executing in the red zone at the level that we've seen them do over the last four or five years. Yeah. The uh, defenses have been allowing the lowest rate of touchdowns in the red zone in like a decade. And that explosive play rate stuff is that's when I wrote about this was just, that's what was so stark was I knew that was kind of the trend because of the defenses being played. It was pretty obvious that was kind of going on. There's a nice little kind of causation and correlation there. And I kind of I, I I thought just like you did that I was like okay well offenses will just lean into the run game yeah. easy that's the answer that's the answer right there boom done 
defenses are like, well, offenses will lean into the run game. So let's just, okay, this is working to stop the pass game or limit the pass game. Okay, so let's just invest in stopping the run and figure out ways to do that. And they have. That is what, it's the lowest, like you mentioned, lowest EPA, EPA per dropback um, in, in two decades, essentially. And with that, it was, I, again, thought that the running would, you know, compensate for that. But the running is league average, basically, over the last 20 years. There has just been nothing to compensate for that. The touchdown rate being so low in the red zone, like you said, once they get down there, the points are not coming. It's just that they, these defenses have gone, okay, this is, okay, it's third and one. Get ready for the, uh, at the goal line. Get ready for a pick play here. And now they pass it off. So now you get the schematic, uh, like there's a schematic reason for these numbers happening right now, which is kind of fun to watch. But there's not but it's one. Just a multitude. There's of, so there's not many one. of them, and I think that's, that's why it. it's hard to get your arms around. And I asked a bunch I, of coaches see, this. I'm meandering through five points because it's just like, yeah, it's this. It's, and it's then, hard then it's to this, find one root cause. This. Yeah. I yeah. asked a bunch of coaches this week because I was so curious. What are you guys seeing? You know, offensive coordinators, play calling head coaches in the league. Uh, about six or eight of them responded, and there were a bunch of different responses. But one of the kind of through lines between all the answers was defenses are just better coached right now. And uh, some of them even apologize. Like, I know that's not super specific, but I think that defenses are just smarter around the league. We're going to talk about a team a little bit later and their red zone was the Seahawks. You look at the game they played against the Bengals before their buy or they played against the Bengals two weeks ago. And that happened twice where they tried to run a little pick play at the goal line and just was beautifully passed off by Cincinnati. And you're looking at the Seahawks being like, what the hell is wrong with this team? But they're moving the ball so efficiently between the 20s. So I think that there's a lot of that going on. And I think that defenses overall are just better coached. They're smarter. They've seen a lot of this stuff. And we've reached a point, and I thought this was an interesting thing you brought up when we were talking earlier, where it kind of feels like the saturation of offensive coaches around the league and how many head coaches there are that are offensive-minded has kind of led to this group of defensive coaches that feels as good and as talented and as deep as it's been in a very long time. That's exactly it. It just seems like, well, there's some older coaches that, you know, Jim Schwartz, Steve Spagnola, and then there's all these young guys. I mean, it, pick a team. <laughs> I mean, there's Mike McDonald the being, I think, the Mike best McDonald example. Being, the Cardinals have like a 29 year old at defensive coordinator. Like, they, it's just all these teams are just going younger there. And it's, it's something we talked about on offense. I mean, we did a whole show this summer, um, Jordan Rodriguez with the, with the Shanahan guys and how young and innovative they were. We're seeing it just the, the counter example from the defense. It's the same kind of trend. They are just taking what was good or the stuff that was working and just modifying it, adapting it, taking it from different sources, having experience going against it. And like you said, it's that they can just go down the hall and go, hey, you're, hey, Shanahan guy, this other Shanahan guy I used to work with does this in a red zone. What do we do to stop it? And that head coach goes, oh, here you go. I mean, that's really how it goes sometimes. <laughs> like they talk it through and work it out. Uh, but I, I mean, just some examples to like this. Okay. So you mentioned the, the pick play in, in the red zone. I think that's a perfect example of one because I got hit up a lot on Twitter where people are, are going like, why does everyone does it, do that sprint out in the low red zone? And it's like, well, it used to be pretty nice because you run a pick, pick play with it and it worked. Now it's just getting stopped. So everyone's just going, well, that place sucks. It's like, yeah, I, I, I know, but they'll find good answers. Um, but the QB run game teams have adapted to that. Mm-hmm. This is not Lamar and Greg Roman taking the whole league by surprise with GT counter. And now everyone knows, you know, these defensive players played it in college. And now coaches have experience stopping it in the NFL or from college if they had that. If you play zone, there's different answers. Just alignment, lagging the nose tackle behind, all kind of ideas that are not new, but everyone everything gets distilled into the NFL. And it's like, okay, that works. Use it. 
<laughs> that is an answer to this. And that's why we do that. And that's how the NFL works. Um, the boot game. Okay. Every team crashes at the quarterback now. The, they collision the slide routes now. Common play action concepts. We have emphasized on this show how smart safeties have gotten. That is because they have to deal with these play action overs and posts and corners and they have to communicate. But now we see it league wide. There's more teams than not that communicate well. I, I will easily say that, that are not fooled by these crossers and overs that were just terrorizing offenses for about 15, 20 years. So I, I think that's what it is. It's just experience with it. I mean, awareness of offensive rules, protection, like these, the, as what RPOs have been for the offense, simulated pressures have been for the defense. So, you know, like it's kind of that hybrid world. But back then, but when I was kind of like in the league, it was like Zimmer, Belichick, Spags. They knew protection rules, maybe Fangio. But now it's like you look at everybody. Everybody knows protection rules. So it's just it's just a pollination of good ideas and smart coaches throughout the league. You talk about all those big crossers and overs. If you yeah. look at just coverages in 2019, it's the first year the true media tracks them. On early downs – League-wide, it was 26% cover one on early downs, 10.5% quarters. Four years later on early downs, it's 17% quarters on early downs, 15.5% cover one. So a 10 percentage point drop in man coverage on early downs. They're making you earn it. Every single year on early downs, quarters coverage continues to rise. So you just imagine it. Imagine it in your head. Just that umbrella of four guys over the top of the defense. And the answer, potentially, like you said, is just to run the ball more. Can we run the ball more efficiently? And if you look at some of these numbers, it's just not happening. In 2022, 49% of snaps had six or fewer guys in the box in the NFL. So a little bit less than half. This year, it's 51 and a half. So for the first time, it's clicked over 50%. So the boxes are lighter than they've ever been. Rushing success rate for defenses is up 2%. Yeah. So boxes are lighter and teams are better at defending the run. And I think one of the reasons for that is that defenses have just gotten so thoughtful with the fronts that they're playing. I asked you this earlier today. How many teams in the NFL just play a true four-down even front anymore? And I said about a third, I I would guess. And it it feels like – I don't even know. (laughs) And and you look at some of these teams that you consider those sorts of teams. Cleveland, right? Jim Schwartz, four down, get after it. I turned on the Browns tape an hour ago. To watch them against the Colts. First play, they're in a five down out front. And just there's so many, there's so much more flexibility within yeah. these defensive systems, specifically for how they're going to stop the run. So the pathways you have to efficient offenses, efficient offense, period, are just consistently getting cut off. It's awesome to watch. It <laughs> just is. Just that, that cyclical it, element of it and every aspect of, all right, well, this, then that, this, then that, that cause and effect, we're seeing it at a very cool place league wide right now. This is kind of, I mean, some of the defensive stuff was stuff like in the late aughts that some teams are doing. Their the rules are so much better now, and but it's just funny because then it was like, okay, just pound the freaking rock, we're good, and it's just so cool that defenses are like, not this time. Like it took us a decade, <laughs> but not this time. And you just even look at cash spending. Like teams are allocating more to the defensive line than ever, more of the salary cap to the defensive line than ever. The players are just better. These are just good players. They're that mismatch they're, is worth mentioning too. That offensive yes. defensive line mismatch is also a big reason for this. And and that's the thing with offensive line stuff. That has been a talking point since I was a kid. Oh, there's not enough offensive linemen in the in, in the in the league. Yeah, no kidding. How <laughs> <laughs> many three athletic 310, 320 pound guys do you know? Like that no kidding. That are smart and can do all this. So that is that's always been a thing. But now it's that 
I, I even looked at uh, the amount of rushers, pass rushers that 10% or more uh, uh, pressure rate, which is kind of like the baseline for like a solid pass rusher. And uh, a couple of years ago or last year, sorry for kind of ballparking this, but it gets the point across. I think there was 82. And this year there was 110 through six weeks. And okay, yeah, of course there's going to be a little bit of noise, but that just passes the eye test. More teams have solid pass rushers across the board. Look at the super teams right now, or the super defenses, the Jets front, the Cowboys front, the 49ers, all these defenses, the the Browns, uh, the Ravens even. But like they just have guys, just guys and guys and guys. The offense loses one lineman or two offensive linemen, and they're screwed. And it feels like you just every feel team has ever. lost a couple this year. It just feels yeah. like every single team is dealing with one or two injuries along the offensive line. And one or two injuries along the offensive line is so much different than one or two injuries along the Correct. defensive line. And I think that imbalance has really come to light here over the first yeah. couple of months. So a lot of very cool high-level stuff going on. But something just to keep in mind as you're watching yeah. not only this week's games, but the games over the back half of the season and kind of what this battle looks like. And I'll say the best thing offenses are doing right now is a court is just being a little bit more aggressive, but you have to protect, but it's using tempo and use not just tempo, but cadence mm-hmm. and limiting what the defense can get to. And I know that sounds basic and it's, it's some teams have done for years, but the teams I'm seeing have success are messing with cadence, hurrying to the line, doing what kind of like McVay and the Rams did when he first got there. The Vikings you on know, Monday night, some of the best Vikings, stuff the Vikings yes, did against yes. the Niners on Monday is Lions dictating tempo this. with the line of scrimmage. Oh, yep. Vikings as 49ers. Ravens did it. Um, uh, Vikings, Falcons, of course, I got to mention them, but Lions, yeah, Lions against the Bucks did it. But like the, all these guys messing with cadence and huddling and everything, that's kind of been where they can create an advantage. Uh, one more kind of newsy thing we wanted to dig into before we talked about this week's games. We're about a week away from the trade deadline, five days away from the trade deadline. And you were having a discussion on the internet yesterday that I wanted to bring up oh, here. was I? We, yeah, sometimes you do that. Sometimes you're talking to people on the internet about football. We're talking about what the right price might be for Chase Young. And we're not going to dig into all the trades today, but I thought this conversation was particularly interesting just about what a value, what the value is for a guy like that. Age 24, injury history has been really productive this year. So what do you think the right price would be if you're one of those teams who are interested in potentially trading for Chase Young? I thought uh, uh, John Shipley, I think, was the one that had the original tweet. But John's all he, over this because the Jags are in that pass rush market as much as anybody exactly. at this point. And that's, why, that's how I used it as kind of a, a launch point to talk about it. But his, his question was, you know, what, you know, Jags fans, what would you give up for Chase Young in the uh, first round or second round, third round, or all this stuff? And I said easily first round for where the Jags are at. And that's kind of, I think, a team that, Feels like a playoff team, which means picking in the 20s or later and sacrificing a first round pick. I think that is well, well worth <laughs> Chase Young, especially what if he had not shown what he's shown this year and it looks to be to that near that number, number two pick pedigree. Yeah, that's fully worth it. These guys do not just grow on trees and that's a way to acquire one, especially for a team that should be contending and usually doesn't have the assets to acquire a guy like this. You look at what Bradley Chubb went for last year. He went for a first-round pick. Bradley Chubb was like 71st in PFS pass rush productivity seven games into last season. He was below average in some of those metrics. You look at where Chase Young is at this year. He's 11th, okay? Mm -hmm. He's near the top 10 in terms of efficiency as a pass rusher this year. And that's not even talking about guys who are part-time players. If you look at guys who've had at least 50% of their team snaps, he's fifth. 
The guys ahead of him are Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, Trey Hendrickson, and Max Crosby. That's it. The dudes. And we're the, the dudes. dudes. Yeah. And we're talking about a 24-year-old guy. Yes. And at this position specifically, we've talked about this. You've made very good points about this. It's hard <laughs> to find avenues to acquire these sorts of players in free agency. Yes. It very rarely happens. This case specifically, it might happen if Washington lets one of those guys hit free agency, but that's why there's a market for them. So I want to talk about – so I think on a broad level, that's why they're worth potentially a first-round pick. But let's take three teams specifically who would be in the market for an edge rusher right now for different reasons. The Jags, the Bears, and the Falcons. The Jags, if they trade a first-round pick for a pass rusher, it's probably in the 20s. And that's always dicey with future first-round picks. But this season, there's I think there's a pretty good chance the Jags are going to be a playoff team. That is going to be a back half of the first-round pick. You already have your franchise quarterback in place. He is still on a rookie deal. Josh Allen is hitting free agency, so that's a potentially complicating factor. But if you go get Chase Young... You can move Trayvon Walker inside in some of these pass rush situations. It makes sense. And I think for your timeline, your trajectory, your resources, you can do something like that. If you're the Bears, never in a million years would I trade one of those first round picks for Chase Young right now. Right. Never in a million years. Because you need a quarterback potentially this offseason. Yes. You That has to be in the back of your mind with every single decision yes. you make. If your quarterback of the future isn't definitively on the roster and you're giving away first round picks, that's very dicey. If you're Atlanta, this becomes interesting yeah. because if you're the Falcons, even if you're not necessarily committed to Desmond Ritter with where you are in your team building process, if it's not Desmond Ritter, maybe it's Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's one of those immediate microwave veterans because you feel good about the rest of the roster that you built and your ability to contend. So for them, I think it brings you a little bit closer. So every answer is a little bit different for each team depending on where they are in the process. Yeah, the the Falcons one is just super interesting because it's just like, yeah, it's a bet on what they think they could be. And that's and also with the Jaguars is they can't trade their second or third because of the, the Ridley year, because of the Calvin Ridley. That's right. That's uh, right. Compensation. So it's that's another just like a little element. But you know you laid it out perfectly. All these teams, it's it's a totally different scenario. I think the Jags is the easiest one I can make an argument for, and they got some book clearing after the season. Yes, they have to figure out how to pay guys, but some other stuff comes off the books, or they can get out of mm-hmm. uh, some other deals as well. So yeah, that spending like spree they went out two off seasons ago. Now you can start to get out from under a couple out of those contracts. Year. Yeah. Yep. Not caps out, but yeah. Well, I guess that term actually works. But <laughs> uh, I actually thought the other. Washington pass rusher, I would like for the Falcons. Montez Sweat. Just because the size, physicality. Push it. Yeah. Yeah. Push that pocket. And that's the type they like. It would give them a different, like, you know, they could spell Kalias Campbell a little bit and also just move guys around as well. They can do some more creative stuff. So I actually thought he would be interesting. How about another name that kind of came to mind that uh, depends on what this team feels about everything, but he's in a contract here as well. It's Josh Uche. That's who I was going to say. <laughs> okay. That's one. Oh, man. I, I love him with the Jags too because he – or the Falcons really because they're different flavors than what they have and that's why he works uh, because he truly doesn't need a pass rusher. He's bad against the run. And but that's why can I get after the get him for the right price potentially. Yeah. If yeah, you could trade a makes- fourth-round pick for Josh Uche or a third-round oh. pick for Josh Uche instead yeah. of trading a first-round pick for Chase Young – 
That's it. Where does that oh, yeah. fall? Especially with what these teams are. Like a Falcons team, that one makes a lot of sense uh, because of just where they are and what they need. That's the name I'd be calling about. It's just less sexy, yeah. but I think the price tag might be right. And Daniil Hunter obviously has been a name that's been bandied about, Absolutely. but the Vikings now are in a very different place than <laughs> they the were Vikings. two weeks ago. Yeah. Any the Vikings other- just took off the for sale signs. They're going, wait, 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 wait. The market value just went up. Any other potential candidates, <laughs> trades, fits matches that have come to mind for you over the last couple the, of days the fan fiction of jacoby Brissett back to the browns yeah, uh, i like that too. I, I like that too i yeah. like that one i that's not even my idea i think i just saw it scroll on twitter and i was like yeah i like that one though because that one makes sense in my head and actually could happen uh but yeah that's that's the other one i i really just this pass rusher market is more interesting than it usually is because washington because they invested so many guys so many picks into this defensive line over the years and actually all the guys hit that Sometimes these are decisions you have to make. So I think it's also just a unique. Turned down his fifth year option. So that now that both of those guys are in free agency at the same time. Oh, when I saw I saw Young in the preseason, I was like, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> I understand why they did it. I yeah, got no, it in totally, the moment. Totally, but totally. It, it has put them in sort of an unfortunate place. So yeah, it seems like team. one of those guys is probably going to be on the move. Yeah. I'm excited to see who it is, what the price is, and what the thinking is behind that move for the team that ultimately does it. All right, let's get to our week eight preview here. Let's start with what we're calling the game of the week. You know, based on their records, based on how they've looked so far this year, maybe you wouldn't call it that. But this is a game that before the season felt like a potential Super Bowl preview. We have the Bengals going up against the Niners. Bengals coming out of a bye. And I think it's just worth checking in with where they are before a huge matchup with the Niners. The Bengals get to the bye at 500. They stayed afloat despite the Joe Burrow injury. And now they have a massive test in their first game back, theoretically healthier than they've been all season going up against San Francisco. Yeah, this one, this is very, very interesting for a few reasons. Uh, I, I, uh, I know uh, for one reason specifically. Uh, as I'm talking higher and higher, getting to an octave higher and higher, talking about uh, the potential starting quarterback for the 49ers. I, but I just want to say about the Bengals 49ers, I think this matchup is one of those that's always burned into my brain because of the drive. Sure. And it, yeah, no, but it's like one of those you, you know, you see, especially if you've been watching football since a kid, you see some clips maybe too many times that you don't need to see anymore. But it's like, I've seen those throws over and over. So that matchup battle is always stuck in my mind for some reason. But anyways, I just had to kind of get that thought out. It's, it's definitely it's, a classic 80s matchup. It's it's one of those that it, yeah. all the all my 80s football memories and moments are just strictly defined in 1985. So I, the Bengals-Niners <laughs> comparison, yeah. just that relationship and Steve Weish and Bill Walsh mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, that's more of an in-retrospect thing to me. That's not like part of my gotcha. football upbringing like it is for some other people. Mine is Seahawks in the kingdom. Back when they were in the AFC West, uh, so that was that's my earliest memories. Is that a lot of domes, not a lot of fields, a lot of domes, <laughs> uh, Metrodome, Kingdom, <laughs> did a lot of domes in my day, Silverdome, uh, yeah, did them all, did them all. But uh, sorry, yeah, sorry to derail this conversation. Well, let's talk, let's it, talk about Sam Darnold because yes. th- this, yes, is, this is this is your moment here, buddy. I'm very happy for you. It's, it's worth game. acknowledging. You don't want anyone ever be hurt. I hope that Brock no. Purdy is going to be fine. But this sets up for a very ripe football experiment that I think all of us were at least intrigued by the moment that Sam Darnold got to San Francisco and especially the moment that the Niners traded away Trey Lance and were one 
broken pinky away from getting Sam Darnold in this sort of circumstance. What are you looking for with Sam Darnold oh. being dropped into this offense on Sunday? Well, I know one thing is that uh, the first question I got asked was like, how this offense changed? It ain't going to change. It's the Shanahan offense. It's going to be the same stuff. But I'm excited to see that <laughs> that big arm go. I want to see him push the ball. It's kind of <laughs> I, I even wrote this in, in, in my column because it just kind of worked out this way. I was writing about the 49ers anyways, but is that like Purdy's and Darnold's play styles, at least some of their blemishes are very similar. It's just that Darnold might be a uh, a premium version or at least have the pedigree of a premium version. But it's that I think maybe Purdy was that gateway drug and Darnold's like the hard stuff. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see Christ. how this kind of goes. He got through the editor. So it's okay to say on the podcast. But I, I, I don't know. At least we'll, I, I want to say this too, is that that Vikings game with Purdy. I would say through three quarters, uh, he played extremely well. Like he had, it was he no was different sh- than any other Brock Purdy. None. Game. He had he had three throws. I was like, oh shit. Uh, I'm gonna have to look back at some stuff here. But it's, but that's what it's just so funny. It's always just those end moments that everyone's gonna just take and run with. So and I even wrote about this though. Is that no matter how well Darnold plays, they entered a bye week next week. It's gonna be so hard for them switch horses mid race. Yeah, I don't Purdy's think that's happening. Right? He's definitely played well I, enough to have a stranglehold I just on that say, job. Everyone that was trying to victory lap this stuff, it's like, guys, this is going to be a one-game thing. But it's just a, a – it is going to be a fun experiment for this one game. Like, we'll always have Paris kind of thing. We get this one game to see Darnold in the Shanahan offense. And I just think the one thing to bring he's, – he's got good uh, – he's a good runner and athleticism, which Purdy also has. But they might sprinkle in a little bit that they – no, maybe they – hey, what did we do with Trey Lance? Okay, maybe we get a couple of those plays to Darnold, but I think also he'll push the ball on the outside. They love to do it in the preseason with them. You can see them kind of going like, hey, what can he do? Oh, let's try this out. So maybe some true one-on-one routes on the outside, which I think will be interesting, which is more classic dropback game. So I do think he brings that. And I will say Darnold, Last year with the Panthers, played okay. He was played his best ball he ever he had has. Some he really good places. stretches last year. He so did. that's so why this becomes be so interesting is that yeah. he has shown these flashes and now you put him into pretty ideal circumstances. I know Trent Williams right. and Debo are banged up, but this is still a very good situation for any quarterback to enter. So what he looks like here, again, feels like an experiment. You're, you're controlling right. for all these different variables. I can't wait to watch it. And on the other side, one thing that makes this even more interesting is that the Bengals' defense just isn't playing very well this year. They are 20th in defensive success rate. They're 7th in the NFL in explosive play rate allowed in the bad way. The 7th highest rate of explosive plays allowed so far this year. The bad way. In the bad way. (laughs) So I I asked an offensive coordinator who played against them this year. I was like, when you played against the Bengals, what were your impressions of their defense? And he said something that made me feel so much better about what I was watching when I watched them play against Seattle a couple weeks ago. They just don't have any standout guys right now. They don't have any defined weaknesses, but they don't have any standout players outside of your occasional Trey Hendrickson play. And that's how I, I, it was so good to hear that because when I was watching them against the Seahawks, that's exactly how it felt. There just aren't these guys who are popping off the tape to you. And why I think that's important is that we have kind of framed that as a good thing with the Bengals. They have no weaknesses. They're smart. They're this veteran laden group. But I think when we say that kind of stuff, the playoff Bengals are burned into our minds where you can have these hyper-specific game plans in in this one-week-by-week tournament, and they've had some really nice moments in that setting. But over the course of a 17-game season, 
when the talent often wins out with some of these numbers, you forget that for long stretches of the last couple of years, even in the Lou Anarumo era, this is a team that was like 17th to 20th in DVOA, defensive success rate, all of that. And when you watch them play right now, I don't know about you, but that's how they feel to me. Yep. It's a still varying up the looks like nothing has changed. The bicycle looks the same. <laughs> it rides the same, but it's not fancy. It's the, we talked about this in our top 10 defenses show though. And we kept them off because yeah. we both said we respect what they can do. We know they can throw some fastballs every once in a while, but from a week to week basis, they don't feel like that top 10 defense. And that's kind of what it's looked like. They have great moments, especially they will get you on third down. But if you play a patient team or a patient quarterback and your defense is doing its job, like, you're gonna get them. They'll get You'll you every get once in a while. Plays. Think about those yes. Geno interceptions in that game. They they yep. are they have the ability to get you every once in a while Absolutely. with some of the stuff that they do. But when you watch them, it just does not feel like it does Absolutely. when you're watching the elite defenses in the league. No, it's they will make you look silly every once in a while, but they're not getting outs. Like that's what it looks like. And I I, I thought about this because I just wanted I wanted to provide an example even for for Darnold at quarterback was. His big thing always is sometimes when he gets confused post-snap, he compounds his issues. And now he's playing in an offense that should have the biggest guardrails and training wheels he's ever had. And that's <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's it's a perfect fit. He needs them. This offense provides them. It couldn't be a better fit. And But these – like when you watch the Bengals defense, I'm watching them against Geno Smith. And I was just laughing. I kept – I had so many examples in my article and I kept going, another former New York Jets quarterback. And they – so uh, they – Show a blitz look, third and five, third and six, whatever it is, third and seven, actually. And then they bail out to cover two. The thing was, this was the difference that it felt like to me on this third down example. Gino does the smart quarterback thing and checks it down to Charbonnet, who does a good job getting out, and he gets a first down. But I was saying that that's a good example for Darnold to learn from. Don't try and make a big play. Just check it down and be smart. But the thing that felt to me on that Bengals example, I was trying to find a good example of the disguise that I know that he does. It didn't have the same heat that mm-hmm. it felt like last year where I was like, oh, they got me. Like, I was like, I don't know. I saw Dax Hill leaning, like, coming down low. Like, the disguise isn't as advanced. So, that's, and it's also, that's a perfect thing to bring when up. I watch the When I watch the Falcons defense, I'm like, oh, Jesse Bates. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, Jesse Bates, you're really freaking good. This And this is a perfect thing to bring up because we yep. talk about this kind of – they don't have weak links. It's just a no. solid defense overall. Yep. But some of the links have gotten even weaker over the last year. Like, that talent where it's just this kind of blanket level of, like, solid veteran play mm-hmm. – Von Bell's not there anymore. Jesse Bates isn't there anymore. So you've got these two guys on the back end and Nick Scott and Dax Hill, even if it hasn't been a disaster, it's just a little bit diminished compared That's to it. even the talent that they've had over the yeah. last couple of years. The holding disguises for just a second less, just a little bit less confidence in what's happening. So you can kind of feel that diminished element, especially on the back end. And I think it's just contributed, like you said, to it just doesn't feel like it has quite the same heat top to bottom. So even yep. if the Niners are a little bit banged up, even if you get Sam Darnold a quarterback, this Bengals defense, I think their reputation is that of a really good unit. And they've had really good moments over the last couple of years. But right now, it's just not that sort of challenge. And I think it's, it's worth there. keeping in mind as we get into this game. But they're getting them after a bye week, so hold on to your hat. Sure. So get ready. Yeah, th- but this, seriously, that's this that's this Bengals team. They're going to adapt. Um, I will say one scheme thing I will be on the lookout for is Anarumo dropping eight. The Bengals dropping eight over and over. It doesn't. It pretty didn't really have too much issues, but the Vikings game they got him a couple times. But I would say just because that can maybe be a curveball, and it's Darnold give him to hold on to the ball. Weak offense, offense line banged up. You know, I would I can maybe see that being a nice change up he throws. He's he's done it before. In, in my notes, 
Vikings got him with drop eight a couple times, but overall the Niners have shredded those shredded. looks this year. Oh, I thought I had something there, and then I started watching I, I, them all. the I'm exact like, oh, same mind. thing. I, I looked at it. I was like, "Oh man, what? What if? How, has drop eight worked the against them this year? The sack made me think of it. Yep. Yes, yep. But then you yes. go back to the first half. So mm. on against drop eight this year, fourteen of yeah. sixteen for two hundred and nineteen yards, point eight three EPA per drop back, which yeah. is the second so highest in the league. You know, you know how they get they beat drop eight. They just chuck it over your head. <laughs> yes. they, they, that's what they do. It's and, awesome. And I you love go it. back to the first half. They had a big inbreaker to Ayuk yep. against drop eight, yep. and then I think another one to. Jennings maybe earlier yep. in the game. So two big games. They've yeah. they've done very good against that. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. We've both picked at the same thread and record. I, oh, I, 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 no, there's nothing there. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing there. there. Nothing there. One thing that I will watch: the last two games. We mentioned it in the Browns game when the Browns beat the Niners. The Browns used three safety looks on about two thirds of their snaps. McLeod, Juan Thornhill, Grant Delpit on the field at the same time. The Vikings did it on every single snap on Monday night. They had Josh Metellus, Cam Bynum, and Harrison Smith on the field for 53 snaps together. So those three safety looks against 21 personnel where you got a sort of bigger body on the field, but you're still not having matchups dictated to you in the same way. Defenses are clearly leaning into that. The Bengals have done it 10 times this year with Dax Hill, Jordan Battle, who's also a rookie, and Nick Scott on the field all together Mm -hmm. at the same time. I wonder, do they lean into that a little bit more because of the success call. that teams have had with it over the last couple of weeks? That'd that, be the one thing the I would watch. For, for teams that want to try and do both or to make you pick your poison, that's the way to kind of bridge both gaps. Like, okay, now we got a bigger body, but he could still move. So that's a great call. And the other thing is the one area where the, the Vikings, when they were having success, you have to get after them in pass rush situations and one-on-one moments. You have to be able to win, especially with Trent Williams out. But even with him in the game, you look at their offensive line, and it's a solid but unspectacular unit. We've we've talked about this so often, and they do a great job mitigating it. But if you're Sam Hubbard, you need to have some wins against Colton McKibbitts in this game. Like That needs to happen if you're going Mm -hmm. to beat this Niners team. And that's what happened with the Vikings. And if it doesn't happen on Sunday, then I think the Bengals are going to be in trouble. It's it's just so funny that we're in 2023, and the same recipe to beat the Shanahan offense is the same. We need a good game script and when they drop back you have to get after their ass like it but but that's it i mean that's the formula for success on the other side of the ball i I think i feel like i've said this a hundred times about the niners feels like a bad matchup (laughs) feels like a bad matchup (laughs) for the opposing (laughs) offense this one felt like i know it's like copy and paste some cowboys notes uh into into this uh from a couple weeks ago but uh i will say the Bengals before the bye we're trying to move chase around Jamar Chase around. They use him in the backfield, use him like bubbles with him, put him in the number three spot. We talked about that a little bit, but they're thriving off being hyper efficient and they're going against one of the best defenses and not allowing big plays and just sawing your legs off when you try to be efficient. Dead last in explosive play rate in the NFL. Dead last. And this is not just the first four games of the season. The last two weeks, they are dead last in explosive play rate in the NFL. And what's interesting is there's been a shift from defenses this year playing against the Bengals. So last year, they saw cover two at the highest rate in the NFL. That is what the challenge was for the 2022 Bengals. They solved the challenge by rushing efficiency and by just being hyper-efficient and throwing the ball underneath. This year, they have faced quarters coverage on 22% of their early down snaps. It's the second highest rate in the league. They've faced cover six on 15%. So those looks combined... 37% of early down snaps, the highest rate in the NFL. So just think about the slight difference between quarters and cover two. There's less air in the coverage. So there just isn't as much space for them to operate underneath. And as they've taken fewer shots, defenses have clamped down even more. 
So you just feel how condensed it is yep. right now for this Bengals team. And I think against the Niners specifically, that's a recipe for a really long day. It is. It's You have to, against a defense like this, you have to hit some haymakers when you're a good offense that's kind of in your off, in your DNA anyways, or at least usually part of your formula. But it's honestly, it's got to be some some go balls. Like it, they just got to take their chances with what, Taking those double, double moves. You can double get Charvarius Ward. I, you oh, make, yeah. make him bite on some of this stuff and try to yep. take advantage because quarters can turn into one on one on the outside. You need mm-hmm. to try to do that. And we'll see if it they're going to cloud the Chase side and it's yep. Higgins with those one on one matchups. Because if he doesn't win a couple of those or Chase doesn't, they've had some luck with back shoulder throws, et cetera. You need to be able to dictate some of that on the outside if you're going to win this game. Well, and then also, hey, we, we just talked about a, a how offensive scoring is down. You don't think uh, refs are getting the message that, hey, maybe emphasize illegal contact a little bit. Maybe maybe call a couple more PIs. Hey, I would test it for at least the next couple weeks. 100%. Hey, people are writing about it. People are talking about it. I would test it. Hey, make, make sure the refs, you know, the refs aren't going to call, like, you got to get them to call a couple of these, but they should. But honestly, that's one of the best ways to get against this defense anyways, but they need to, and they have the ability to do so, but they just can't get there. And that was the calf early, but they need to get there after the bye couple other numbers I thought were interesting before we move on. Niners are 29th in the NFL this season in run defense success rate out of nickel personnel. Teams have been able to run on them mm-hmm. when you get their heavy bodies off the field. The Bengals live in 11 personnel, so that's how they want to run the ball. Mm-hmm. So can they have any success running the ball against some of those looks? I think that's really important. And the last thing, watching the Vikings on Monday, they had some success with under center play action. Let's get in some heavy personnel. Let's run under center play action. We'll get their three linebackers on the field. And I thought, well, that doesn't really apply to the Bengals. The Bengals don't play under center. There's no way they're doing this. So apparently this week, they've been dabbling with some under center stuff. And I want to see what that looks like. Because if you go under center on early downs against the Niners, the coverage menu changes. Mm -hmm. So there are teams that have these kind of dot checks where if you're under center, they play single high. The Niners, when you're under center on early downs, 47% cover three, 19% man. On early downs from the gun, 36% cover three, 14% man, 28% quarters. So it changes. The challenge changes when you go under center on early downs against the Niners on a broad level. So do the Bengals do some of that to get a more specific kind of condensed coverage menu and potentially put themselves in a position to take some shots? Yeah, I just... I think the last time I saw Burrow throw an under center play action pass where he turned his back was against the Ravens and he got picked off on it's it. It's not so his I, life. It's not I their really life. Think, I think I, I honestly think that was the last time I saw it. And But they created some shot plays even with their play action stuff, like against the Cardinals mm-hmm. where they straight copy and pasted a 49ers play, which makes sense. They have some DNA together. But they – I mean, seriously, it was control C. <laughs> control V. And uh, But they but they're getting to – they're trying. They know. Like they're aware of what's going on. It's just going to be interesting after another week of rest, after a week of self self scouting, another week to watch the 49ers defense, how they get after it. So I, I'm curious what their answers will be. I love the run game one because that's how it feels a little bit is that you can get some decent run plays because their, their D tackles are trying to get so far upfield. It kind of feels like that Bills issue for a little bit, but like the, you know, where they're so aggressive getting upfield and the offenses are taking advantage of that a little bit, you know, but traps, things like yeah, that, where yep, you're really, yep. you're trying to get them a little even, bit. Even zone stuff, just sh- moving them aside. Hey, you want to get a field? Okay, we'll just go. Yeah, we'll get you over there. So yeah, I'm, it's curious. That play you mentioned that under that gun play action, they tried it against the Seahawks, blown up, yeah. blown up. And that's the other issue here. The Bengals offensive line 
is not very good. Yeah. Even if it's better than it was a couple years ago, even if they've invested in it, you know, it's still not very good. There's a lot of plus players along that mm-hmm. entire front. And you see that. It, it just it really pops up when you're watching them play against good defensive fronts. And that's absolutely what the Niners have. So uh, it's going to be a challenge. There's absolutely no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Injuries to keep an eye on. Orlando Brown has been limited with a gro- groin injury. They're otherwise pretty healthy, the Bengals are right now, the healthiest they've been all year, which is a good thing. Other than Purdy, obviously, Debo and Trent Williams still not practicing. So just some stuff to keep in mind before we get into this one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. It's time for the matchup of the week. We got the Seahawks offense going up against the Browns defense. A very, very good matchup. We've talked so much about the Browns defense. I want this to be a little bit more focused about the Seahawks offense and where they are right now. So when you went back and studied, watched the Seahawks offense over the last couple of weeks, how would you assess kind of where they are in this moment? Uh, they rock. Yeah. Uh, they, they, <laughs> that, they, they do. They, this offense is after my own heart. They have, they, first off, just talk about personnel. And I think that'll lead us to what, how, what they're doing. But they have three playable tight ends that have nice skill sets. Oh, they'll together. show them off to you too, boy. Oh, yeah. They love it. Uh, two that can block well. And one that's a, you know, field stretcher and Noah Fant. They have four playable, viable, playable receivers with complementary skill sets. They have a dirty work guy, you know, to get DK Metcalf back now. Uh, I was going to say dirty work guys, Jake Bobo, who is already a cold favorite for me. Uh, so Jake Bobo wait. is the star of this group, and you should put him put, put some respect Jake on Bobo. his name. Bobo is the man. He is awesome. He is just, oh, he him in the run game is great, but I'll, I'll get to him in a sec. But they have an explosive running back and Kenneth Walker. They're using him a little bit in the run game. They have a nice solid rookie in Zach Charbonnet. The old line is getting healthier, and but they're well coached even when they weren't healthy which is a good indicator of when they are healthy, this could be good. Uh, they also have this quarterback that throws freaking Hadoukens across the field over and over and over, and it is the best, and they run everything, and they push the ball, and they are, are always attacking. It's a fun offense. It's it's a really, really cool offense to watch right now. They are sixth in passing DVOA so far this season. They are 10th in offensive DVOA. This has been a very good offense with a patchwork offensive line the whole yeah. year. The tackles yeah. went out in week one, but it has been a rotating cast of interior offensive linemen, and somehow they have managed to endure all of that. And I know that Geno's had some rough moments over the last couple of weeks, decision-making-wise. Some red zone interceptions, or there's been some of those moments where it's like, oh man, just can't have that, just can't have that, where he's trying to make a little bit too much happen. 
Oh, the yeah. ball placement right now is utterly insane. He had two go balls against the Bengals where he puts one on DK Metcalf's hands. It falls incomplete, but it's just gorgeous. He drops one to Tyler Lockett down the right sideline that literally couldn't be more perfect. The Jake Bobo touchdown in the right side of the end zone against the Cardinals, mm. it's in a box. It's in like it's a, a two-by-two two box that he puts that in. The throw he puts to Noah Fant in the red zone oh. was insane. His, the, his accuracy right now and where he's putting the ball is like wedding crashers. It's like, I was first team all state. I could make it fucking rain out here. That's how it he feels is. watching Gino right now. He yeah. is making it rain out there. He's Vince Vaughn. Like, he is Vince Vaughn playing quarterback. It, it It's... The but I even brought up like the quarterbacking thing. Like I brought up that Bengals example. Like he's doing like okay, I gotta check it down here. Okay, okay, I'll take I'll take a playoff. I'll cool the arm off. It's like a Gatling gun that you just have to like cool off every once in a while. Like just okay, we just fired a whole bunch out of there. But even like it was really cool to watch a team how they mitigate when they have injuries and and they do well and they're like oh how they how they go about this. Sometimes it's just like, oh, they ran a lot of bootlegs. Cool. But watching the Seahawks offensive line and, and watching what the Seahawks did with all the offensive linemen out, I should say, is how they messed with pass rushers of just, okay, they provided chip help, but they didn't just do it the same freaking way like a lot of teams do over you and over. no idea where the tight ends were coming from. No, no way. And they had one where they had two guys release on either side of the edge of the Bengals edge player, but neither chipped. And it messed with, it messed with Hendrickson so bad. He like kind of paused and he was like, Okay, and then he kept going, but it was on purpose. But those guys both ended up as checkdowns, so it's great. They're getting out as checkdowns without chip helping. They're messing with the edge rusher without without chip chip helping again. But that's just a changing the angle on, on all of it. And so they're just smart. They're just a really well coached unit. And sometimes it blows up in their face because Gino pushes the ball, but they move the ball consistently. And I just think they're going to get better and better because even as they get DK back, now they're figuring out how to get JSN involved. Jake Bobo has been a nice utility player. Lockett and 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 um, Lockett and Gino have a great chemistry right now. So it's it's a really cool unit right now. I, I can I talk about the Bobo TD, the other one. The the, the last thing I want on? to say about Sorry, this. Sorry, after I, I know I just ranted. The last thing I want to say about this is they're doing weird stuff. Okay, when you watch some of the stuff that sidecar, you got the sidecar formations with both running backs in the field on the field at the same time, and then there's a tight end next to one of them. You got both tight ends in the backfield. It's not doing it just to do it. No. The what how those tight end formations are affecting their ability to pass protect is notable. And it's been that way through the entire season. And they're also using so much play action out of those looks and period. They are second in the NFL right now in play action percentage total. And they're using it to protect their offensive line and take mm-hmm. shots. They're completing 79% of their passes off play action, which is the highest rate in the league. They are number one in the NFL in play action pass success rate. And they do it more often than anyone. And that is partially led to one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL. They are fourth in offensive success rate outside of the red zone. Fourth. We'll talk about the red zone in a second. But right now, (laughs) between the 20s, they are extremely efficient, even as they've been unhealthy in really important areas. It is a very cool, thoughtful, intentional offense to watch, led by a quarterback who is more enjoyable on a play-to-play basis right now than virtually any other passer in the NFL. Oh, it's the, it's the guitar solos he has. It's just like, it's worth the price of admission, man. Like, it really is. It's like, okay, some of this, okay, maybe that's not... But but I also want to say, it's like, it's all sound. Like, I, I told all of it. Noah it's fan, not just to do it. 
No, it, it's all sound. And how Gina plays is sound. He plays good quarterbacking. He just always takes the aggressive option, like which is awesome. That's why it's fun. Stafford's the same way. They take the they take the double when the double's there, as opposed to just taking a walk and getting on first base. I but oh, the Bobo touchdown, just real quick. It's a divide concept. It, uh, the other one, other than that great catch and throw, it, it was so it's a divide concept, which is a post in a corner on the same side. So guy going in, guy going out. You're dividing the defense. But how they got to it was pretty sweet because they went 12 personnel. So it's exactly what you're talking about, how they use tight ends and in protection. They motion Fant, so they create like an 11 personnel look with Fant. They drew the divide with the two receivers, but then have Fant run all the way over to occupy the backside uh, safety so he can't get into the play. But this is where these tight ends come into play is Colby Parkinson, who's a kick-ass blocker. They have him in protection against the Cardinals. So he's in protection just one-on-one with the outside linebacker. How they use these guys, they create a different look than just a, a nice staple concept. So like you're saying, this is just another example of like, these are big plays with just sound design and just good thoughtfulness. Okay. So if you're listening to this, some asshole is rolling his eyes right now and being like, well, why aren't the Seahawks scoring 35 points a game? They have been abysmal in the red zone this season. Really abysmal. <laughs> Gino, again, fourth in success rate outside of the red zone, sixth in EPA per drop back outside of the red zone, 31st in EPA per drop back in the red zone, 28th in success rate. So now here's the question. Is this a symptom of something bigger or does this ultimately normalize enough and regress enough where this team is going to kind of take off in the way that we saw with the Ravens last week, where it's kind of lingering underneath the surface and is possible. I think it's going to normalize because how they move the ball, like there's no reason for it not to, if that makes sense. They have a quarterback willing to rip it. They have a a fine run game that can push it. You know, that really helps in the red zone as well. So usually, and I think the designs are fine. I think the Bengals just did an outstanding job. All those sacks and everything were just coverage sacks because they just did. We brought, you brought the other example earlier, but it's, I think it's, they're going to even out just like we saw with the Ravens and everything. It might not, again, it's always predicting when it happens. Uh, is it this week, this month, this season, next season? But I do think it'll even out because all their other stuff seems sustainable. Everything does. So that's why I think that will fix itself too. Also, one other area where they have struggled, even if they've been able to mitigate this for the most part, they still have protection breakdowns. There are still four, five, six plays a game where a play gets torpedoed because you got two backup guards in there. You got a backup guard, a backup center in there, and you're just going to lose some of those matchups. So I think that the occasional protection breakdown that leads to a negative play, Gino being almost too aggressive in some of these moments and just not taking what's there, forcing something in the red zone when things get tight, bad, untimely turnovers, and just red zone randomness. I think I think those are the three things. If I were a Seahawks fan or if I were somebody watching the NFC landscape right now, I would be excited if I were a fan and I would be scared of this team if I were not because I do think that they have a lot of potency on that side of the ball. And this, I will say though, this is going to be a very good test that they are about to face here in this Cleveland defense. Oh, I mean, even like a guy like Charles Cross, who I love, now he's going against Miles Garrett. And it's like, all right. Let's see how much I love you after this week. And they do provide, they'll probably provide chip help, I'm sure. But sometimes, sometimes it doesn't matter. He, it doesn't matter. I, re- I rewatched the most of the, the Colts game this afternoon. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, he's just a monster. Oh my it's God. I slowed it down and I almost tweeted it out, but then I realized it wasn't worth it because it never is. And he had a cross chop on that, the first sack fumble, where the way his body moves and just the flexibility. At 6'5", 280, it just doesn't make sense. 
No. Like he he just moves in a way that just truly does not make sense. He is playing the best he's ever played. And then mm. you combine that with everything else they have on defense. And I thought the Colts did a lot of really smart stuff. Bunches, stacks, some quick motions, really playing with a lot of the man coverage rules that you're going to see the Browns try to tap into. I think the Seahawks would be it would benefit them to try to do some of those similar ideas where it's like, yeah. let's not spread things out, which the Seahawks do. The Seahawks play in a lot of like really spread out formations with their receivers. So can we get things a little bit tighter? Can we play with some of those rules? The one thing I stumbled upon when I was looking at some of this, though, yeah. that was really surprising to me. Where do you think Geno ranks in EPA per drop back against man coverage this year? I'm not the person to ask because I guessed 12th earlier and it was not 12th. <laughs> it's dead last. <laughs> Stunning. Dead last. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I did a little research on it, but yeah. I, yeah and I, when I, I was trying to, and I, the reason I wanted to ask you is that I was thinking about, well, why would that be? Yeah. Like, is there anything that's specific to their offense and the way that they play that would allow them, make them struggle in those sorts of moments? And I didn't really land on anything. Do you have any no. theories as to why that might be the case? So looking back, it's great. I love having true media because I can just like go game by game. Like, okay, look up a good sample size of this. So uh, yeah, it was only 28 pass attempts against man, which was like, that's very low. So yeah. it's it's 50-50 ball luck. Gino loves to launch it on the outside and let DK go make a play. DK is surprisingly not the toughest guy at this catch point sometimes. So that kind of hinders him. But it's mostly on third downs, which hinders too. And it's just... In baseball, they have batting average on balls in play, mm -hmm. and it's just you know that's what this feels like. It's like okay, a couple of these bounce the right way, his foot's not out of bounds. Okay, this will all even out, but it's not. This to me does not seem like an underlying issue more than they just haven't completed a couple because he's aggressive. I think that makes total sense. So yeah. uh, we spent. A I'm lot glad of you brought it up because I that stunned me when you told me. But that. But that's really why I, I wanted yeah. to ask you because I knew you'd yeah. have a good theory, and when I just didn't really have one, so I think that's it's worth noting. We spent a lot of time during this segment talking about how good the Seahawks are. Do not be surprised that they really struggle on Sunday because those oh. interior offensive line injuries, right. and they still have them. Evan Brown not practicing. Phil Haynes not practicing. This Browns team is going to be able to get after them up front. So I'm curious what levers they try to pull, and I think that every single game, it's fun to open up the Seahawks tape because you wonder, what weird shit did they do today? Yeah. And yeah. against the Bengals two weeks ago, it was pony personnel and using both running backs on the field at the same time. So I think they're going to have some interesting ideas, whether or not they actually fall into place against a team playing like this in Cleveland, which I, I think last week was kind of fluky. That's going to be the bigger question. So excited also, to watch this game. Also, the Browns have, you know, quarterback issues right now or quarterback questions. Uh, these are not only the Browns defense, one of the best or the best going against the run. The Seahawks are the other one in the top two. They've been excellent. So you have the two, the two best run defenses going against each other. So that's going to be might be a quick game. <laughs> Speaking of quick, we're going to run through a couple other matchups here very quickly. Let's start doing this a little bit more so we can hit a few more like of this. these games. One thing to watch from three games this weekend. Rams offense against Cowboys yeah. defense. One thing to watch for you. The middle of the field, uh, how McVay attacks it with Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. And going against a Cowboys defense that's trying to reconfigure their back end and figure out their new answers, especially with Lane Vander Esch out. So how does McVay create those matchups? How does he go against the spine? You also have a very fun matchup in the run game of a very vertical run game. They, uh, the Rams have run a lot of duo versus the Cowboys defense, which is everywhere, which is just, you know, <laughs> arms and sass everywhere and just going outside, side to side. So yeah, I think that's going to be a very fun vertical at you run, run and pass offense versus a speed defense. I think it, Interesting Styles McFights uh, type of matchup. That one's going to be really fun, I think, all 22-wise. 
I was going to just let you do one thing, but I wanted to at least mention this because I yeah. thought it was a good game. I thought it was notable when I was looking at the numbers. We think of the Rams as this team that you can't blitz. You just can't blitz them. You know, they're going to hurt you if you blitz them. Last three weeks, Matthew Stafford is dead last in passing success rate against the blitz. 23% success rate against the blitz over the last three weeks. League average is 45% over that span. So teams are heating them up and having some success with it. So what the Rams' answers are to teams potentially leaning into that a little bit more, something to watch. Testing that run, the running backs, and they're testing. They have they've had O line some stuff too, but no, it's it's gonna be an awesome game. I, I'm I'm fired up for this one. Jags offense against Steelers defense. One thing you're watching. Okay. All right, really, it's more. I want to go on a mini rant here, but don't worry about the Calvin Ridley stuff. I know I have a lot of stock in him, anyways. <laughs> Maybe this is just me justifying it. But the Saints were running a bunch of cover two. What have we talked about on this show? The top receivers, the top pass threats, Devonte Adams, Tyreek Hill. They get cover, Justin Jefferson. They get cover two to their side. The Jags face the second highest rate of cover two on first and second down when they're in 11. So that's, you know, passing situation because they'll run a lot 12. Fourth highest overall in cloud looks. And he's, people are saying, oh, let's move him to the slot. He's being used the same amount of slot as he was in, with the Falcons, like literally the same 12.5% his last year with the Falcons, 12.6% this year. So it's not just a magic wand. Like, move him to the slot. Okay, so now you have Christian Kirk, who, sorry, this was supposed to be like a fun, like, what are you going to watch? You're going to move Christian Kirk, who can't play on the outside. You're going to put him on the outside and put Ridley on the inside? No, now you're making both things worse. So I just think it's all going to, it's all going to work out, but this is why the Jags want multiple receivers that can do things. When they need Ridley to take one on ones, they will. But when they need all these other guys, that's why Christian Kirk had a nice game. It's because this, that's his type of game, but going against a Steelers defense that runs a lot of single high. So long story short, Look for Calvin Ridley. <laughs> Look for Calvin Ridley this game if you want me to put a little bow on it. <laughs> I would I would not be surprised if you saw a not conservative, let's say risk averse game plan from the Jags. Where mm. they know that if they can limit explosive plays from the Steelers' defense, the Steelers' yeah. offense is hapless enough that they're going to win this game. So I That's think that they're going to try to control ball control. Just control yeah. the tempo, control, dictate how the game goes. That's the type of game I anticipate from the Jags in this one. I, it's interesting because the that Steelers Rams game, offense, Rams offense, Steelers defense. The Rams like to get a hat on a hat. They don't like to do RPOs and everything like that mm-hmm. in their run game. Now we're going against the Jags, who are pure RPO, everyone <laughs> everywhere. But that's why Mika made so many tackles because they're bringing them into the box to fill the run. Now he has to be in coverage. So that, I just think that's another interesting styles make fights type of thing right here to see how that run game plays out. Dolphins offense against Patriots defense. One thing to watch. Uh, how could the Dolphins refine their run game against a really tough test? Uh, I, I think it's going to be uh, the rewatching that game. The Patriots are in a lot of net stuff, three deep safeties, a lot of soft coverage, keep everything in front of them. Now they have an advantage up front with this Dolphins offensive line banged up. So how did the Dolphins refine those chunks that they were getting in the run game? Uh, they kind of have to find the answer because, you know, it's kind of a house of cards with their other stuff. But that stuff is not sustainable. I think you're seeing the offensive line injuries really start to impact Miami. Yeah. They just don't have a vertical run game right now, especially against the Eagles, right? Like there's going right. to be no worse matchup for them all the way across than Philadelphia's defensive line, but there's a lot of slouches on the Patriots defensive line either. So right. I would not be surprised if we saw some of those struggles again. You know, Connor Williams has been hurt. Obviously, uh, Isaiah wins on IR now. So mm-hmm. just something to keep an eye on. Because th- those guys, even if the Patriots defense hasn't been great, Christian Barmore's had a nice season so far. Oh. They've still got some players yeah. on the interior. Put a, put a pin in that until we uh, get to my towels. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> a little tease.
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, it's time to go under the hood. Each week, we like to look at a unit that is either better or worse than we thought they were going to be, than they were earlier in the season. Just a little check-in, look at some diagnostics for why this unit is playing this way. And today, we wanted to dig into the Chiefs' defense. You know, this is something that we've nodded to a little bit over the first couple months of the season here, the fact that they're playing really well, but we really haven't dug deep into it. The Chiefs' defense is fifth in defensive DVOA through seven weeks, fifth so this is not just a complementary unit to what the offense no. is doing like it has been in years past where it's like, oh, they're good enough. Like they got Mahomes and the defense is right. good enough. This has been one of the best defenses in the league through the first seven weeks, full stop. So when yep. you are watching this group right now and what Steve Spagnuolo's crew is doing, what is the number one thing that has jumped out to you? Well, first off, that's how it feels. All those stats, like and they match up. Like this is the best Spags defense that he's had with the Chiefs, but – He's back. He's so comfortable in trusting his players. And they ha- again, this is another unit that it feels like they have a lot of good players and young ascending players is I, I kind of the story of his blitzes really kind of is an indicator of like how he feels about his players before when Spags blitzed before it was mostly cover zero, almost a mm-hmm. third of the time in 2022, 30.9% of his blitzes were cover zero. This year it's 13%. It's all, it's so much zone blitzing, so much. We're going to hide what we're doing. We're going to disguise what we're doing. We're going to limit. If you do catch us, we're not going to let you go for 60 and have Dan Sorensen, you know, jumping for air. No, we're going to limit to it. I know. I knew he was going to catch a stray during this segment. It feels like he has to. It's like chiefs improvement. Okay. They don't have Dan Sorensen anymore. And it's, but it's, but his Sorensen's versatility is kind of like what kind of led to what they're doing now. You don't don't have to do that. You don't have to do this. Just keep going on with your point. Okay. But he's using the, the, so mostly, most of their blitzes now are the quarter shell. And why they do that is they can be diverse out of the, those looks. They can Mm -hmm. run all their changeups out of it. He's making them all look the same. It's like a pitcher throwing the same pitch and then they break it three different ways. So look at pitching ninja. <laughs> That's what Spags is doing. With, he's blitzing he was, ninja. With, Steve Sagno is blitzing ninja. ninja right now. Perfect. That's exactly what he's doing. So it's change up, curveball, cutter. They all look the same. And then you're oh shoot. Oh God, what what do I got here? You even look, they run a they ran against Justin Herbert. And Spags has done this over the years. But when you have better players, it looks so much better. Weird, right? Is they make it look like quarters, then they make it look like cover zero, and it ends up being man double two of your other players. Mm-hmm. So two of the offense players are doubled. They do it on third down. But it looks like quarters. Okay. Then it looks like cover zero. Oh, shoot. Oh, and now you're doubling two of our guys and I don't have to throw hot. And that's, oh my God, he's in his bag right now. So loves to test rules. Like, and I can get into that. I'll get into that later. But it's really just Spags is running. He is so comfortable with his players right now and how the players, what the, when they hit, it hits harder. And when the other team like gets the explosive against them, it's not as bad as it's been in the past. It's just good defense. They're not blitzing that much 
They're blitzing yeah. about 28% of dropbacks, which is just above league average. It's the 12th highest rate in the league. But when <laughs> they been do, the same. Yeah. it's devastating. They are number yep. one in the NFL in EPA per dropback when they blitz this year. When they do it, it's phenomenal. And the one I wanted to look up because it just feels like every time they bring him, it's devastating. When they blitz Trent McDuffie this year, teams are 10 of 22 for about 103 yards. That whenever he comes off the slot, it just seems like they know exactly when to press that button. And when I when I watch them play, and this this is gonna seem like a wafty statement, but I, I really have thought a lot about it, and I think there's a bunch of different numbers that back this up. I think right now they might be the most versatile defense in the entire NFL, and it's for a bunch of different reasons. So on early downs, they do not play a single coverage more than 22 percent of the time. That is the lowest number in the NFL for your predominant coverage of any team in the league. And you look at all the players that they have, there's just so much flexibility at every single level of the defense. So let's look at the defensive line. Pretty much every single guy who's a part of their main rotation right now, maybe outside of Derek Nottie, but let's say their best four defensive linemen are Chris Jones, George Karloftis, Mike Dana, and Charles Amanahu now that he's back. All four of those guys can play inside or outside. Mm-hmm. We've seen them play inside and outside this year. So you, all of your best defensive linemen can play anywhere you want them to. They have four linebackers that they play. Willie Gay, Nick Bolton, Leo Chanel, Drew Tranquil. They all play in some capacity, and they all do something a little bit different. So now they're in these moments where they're running five-man fronts with Chanel and Willie Gay as stand-up outside linebackers, and their three defensive linemen are crammed inside the tackles because they can do a little bit of everything. On defense, on the back end, they have three safety looks that they can trot out with Brian Cook, Justin Reed, and Mike Edwards. This is the number I thought was super telling. They play base defense and dime defense at the second highest rate in the NFL. Both. I love that. Both. I love that stat. There are so few defenses that would have the personnel to be able to do that. They play dime on 62% of third downs, which is the second highest rate in the league. And so there's just so many different ways that they can attack you. It's a mixed bag depending on the situation, Mm -hmm. the down and distance. They can play any coverage with any personnel grouping that they want to. And I think so few teams are set up to play that way right now. But that's exactly how the Chiefs defense feels. The, oh, and this was like a running bit when we first started the show. I always say, oh, yeah, you just get into base personnel running on spags. That's what you do. Just get base running on spags because then he doesn't get exotic. Now he's bringing blitz, more blitzes out of that or at least blitzes that are giving offenses issues. And how he tests rules, and I, I we were talking about it earlier when we were talking about why offenses are down or defenses are up, I should say, uh, is that is – Testing of the pass protections, you're talking about all the guys being able to move across. Okay. No matter what, we're going to put Chris Jones on your weakest, off, weakest offensive line. Yep. Okay. That's where we're starting. All the other guys can make it work if it's the, if he has to move inside. Like you're saying, the versatility works, but then blitzing corners if the offense uses condenses split, condensed splits. Blitzing a safety if we're showing man coverage a bunch. Okay, now we're going to blitz the safety instead of having man on the tight end. Um, even running certain beaters against certain formation looks. Um, if you're in two by two, They run this palms blitz. I won't get into it. But anyways, you can't block it. Like you literally can't block it if you're in a six-man protection out two by two. It breaks your rules. He does it. He's like one of the few guys that does it. He can get to all of this. And again, all those looks are out of quarter shells. So those are all the things he's getting to. It's it's good stuff. It's really good stuff, guys. They play 47% too high on early downs. 
47%. That's the highest rate in the NFL. Either some combination of six, four, and two. So they're in this shell all the time. Mm -hmm. And what they do is, especially on early downs, they play base defense. So they're playing with too high, but they're playing with seven guys in the box. And that formula has allowed them to limit explosives while defending the run enough. They're not That's an it. elite run defense, nope. but they do enough to still limit you if you're never going to get explosive plays in the pass game. It's an awesome unit to watch. They had a, a cover zero blitz out of that 5-1 look. So yeah. it's cover zero, but no nobody's mugged up. And the Chargers just had no idea. Willie Gay comes scot-free oh. off the edge. It's a sack. There's just yeah. so many different looks that they're giving you where teams have zero chance to block it because yep. it unfolds in a way that you never could have anticipated. And I think that's, that's why they're so hard to deal with right now. It's uh, just let's have some stats. Like I, I'm glad you brought up the run point, but it's, they're giving up the fewest first downs per play, fewest explosive plays. Uh, they're even better defending QB scrambles. That's given them issues in the past. Speed like, at linebacker, just, man. Speed just at sound. linebacker. They're sound and faster, which is a great combo. Uh, but they're hitting the QB more than ever. They've had seven QB hits per game now, which is more than two than they had a season or two seasons ago. So they're just they're just getting after you. They're making they're punishing quarterbacks that their hairs are like a split second late. And I'll just leave it like this. Like the difference, like why I want to bring up that cover zero point is in cover zero as a quarterback. Where's my hot answer? That's why I have to figure out. And usually it's a slot fade or a crossing route. When it's a disguised zone blitz look, I have to confirm what I'm seeing and then figure out my answer. Sometimes I have a good answer. We practice this, but sometimes I have no idea. And now I know I'm not hot, but I'm definitely warm. And that's what Spags is doing just over and over and over. He's making quarterbacks feel warm, and that's a terrible place to live, especially if you're not getting those explosive plays to make it easy. It's also just cool to watch the development from some of the young players. McDuffie's playing so, so well. Snead has been a really good player for that years. That draft class last year is like – And Karlo oh Karloftis has taken such a step and in his flexibility and his versatility be able to play all over the place. And the other thing – this is not the most important point, but I'm sure this will warm your heart. When I watch them, one of the things that just jumps off – those guys want to tackle. The, yeah. D, the DBs want to tackle. Sneed, McDuffie, all yep. those guys want to play a certain way. And we talk about what does a good defense feel like? And for years and years and years, it just kind of felt like the Chiefs were white knuckle it and holding on for dear life on that side <laughs> yep. of the ball. It does not feel that way anymore. This feels like a good defense when you watch them. And I know it's not the best matchup this week. It's not the sexiest, but it just felt like it was time to really dig into what they yep. are because of how well they're playing. It's legit. We had inklings, but this is legit. But also, real quick, is that the uh, Broncos actually give them issues because of their run game. That's all they do. That's <laughs> so, all they do is want to so, run the ball. So it's like, oh, dang it. That's the yeah. But no, it's a good defense, guys. It's a very, very good defense. It, it's it's very fun to watch. A couple other notable games we wanted to talk about and kind of put them under one umbrella. Let's do a little rookie quarterback check in here, heading in to Week Eight. This is the buyer's remorse game, potentially, for the Carolina Panthers playing against C.J. Stroud. I have nothing else to really say about that. I mean, no. If you're a Panthers fan, walking into this game, I, I would be very nervous about how this is going to go and how I'm going to feel over those three and a half hours, potentially, with the way that Stroud is playing. You'll never get away from it either. It's like everyone's going to have this in their brain. It's the S2 bowl. I'm not, call I'm uh, not saying this I'm not because this. I don't think it's going to be this way. I know this life. Every time I watch Patrick Mahomes play, <laughs> from here on out and until this point, I sit there and have to relive the 2018 draft and how it all went. I don't think CJ Stroud is going to become Patrick Mahomes, but even a diet version of that, it's fucking awful. I'll tell you right uh, now, that, it is awful. 
That's so funny. I was trying to think, okay, Culpepper went right before McNown. So I was, I was curious about that one. I knew they both took quarterbacks in that 99 draft. So I wanted to ask you about that one. <sighs> oh, that's funny. That's rich. You ready to take another North Carolina quarterback? Uh, uh, this, but one, this one feels a little bit different to me. I'll tell you right know. now. This one feels a little <laughs> yeah. bit different to me. I <laughs> know, uh, but this – yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. It's I think you said all said it all. It's just uh, you feel bad for Panthers fans, but it's not like you just want you want Bryce Young to like he's shown flashes, but it's just it's tough because Stroud looks really good. This or, is not uh, an indictment about Bryce Young, no. and not Bryce no. Young's not a bust. It's, that's not what we're no. saying at all. It's just this game specifically, and potentially yeah. the next decade, as a yeah. chance that there could be a lot of pain involved whenever you watch CJ Stroud play if you're a Panthers fan. And this might be another entry into that. Even if Frank Reich is going to tell you till his great, till his deathbed that he wanted Bryce Young in this draft, he's just going to tell you every single time for the next 50 years. Frank's, I, Frank, that'd make Frank like 120, but I think that yeah. he's like 60, he's like 62 right now. But listen, <laughs> he Frank Reich at 62. I want to say he is right now looks way better than me. So there's a very good chance that he outlives me. That man looks fantastic. <laughs> That's great. One other rookie quarterback note here. Sounds like we are going to get Will Levis playing against the Falcons this weekend. What a week oh. for the Titans. You trade away Kevin Byard, potentially have some other guys on the move. Now you're trotting out this guy that you traded up for in this draft. It's still unclear why they felt like they had to come away from this draft with a quarterback. Yeah. The lack of focus, let's say, about where the Titans are, what they think of themselves, what the plan is moving forward, I think it's kind of been put on full display here over the last seven days. And I'm really not sure what to make of it. I I just truly don't understand like what this is going to look like over the next six to eight months. Did, uh, Arthur Smith said he might he offered a uh, vest swap after the game with Vrabel. You know, vest, like a, a, jer- a jersey swap, a vest swap, instead of a jersey swap. But uh, which I thought was pretty funny. But they also like mentioned that it's like a Levis Willis might rotate, or Levis is the primary quarterback and Willis is the secondary another, another entry into what the hell is happening right now with the Tennessee Titans. I know it feels like a coach running or doing the GM decisions sometimes, like the day to day stuff. It, it just it, no, it nothing has foresight. It's just even okay. Sorry, I no, I'm not going to tell a story, but uh, but it's, I was going to tell a side story, but no, it's I, I want to see Levis. I want to see him in an NFL setting, so that's fun, I guess. But it just feels like everything is sloppily sloppily handled. It doesn't feel like there's a plan with any of this, where it's like, well, we knew after this situation that he would be our guy, so we have him prepped or everything. It feels like every day they're just making shit up. So just just this what we felt like in free agency period. It's like, what are you guys? Like, what what are you guys trying to be this year or the future years? I don't even know how to predict them this year. We'll see what happens with trades. We'll see who's on this roster by the time the trade deadline happens. Yeah. But even if you look at just free agents heading into next season, this roster is essentially comprised of Harold Landry, Uh Jeffrey Simmons, Arden Key to a certain extent, Amani Hooker. On offense, it's DeAndre Hopkins who you've committed to. Your draft picks recently, Skaronsky, Traylon Burks. Yeah. That's really it. You know, like Derrick Henry's going to be gone. McCre- and My McCre- guy McCreary. McCreary. <laughs> yeah, guys they've drafted over the last couple of years. Yeah, like some of those younger name, players, I, I right? I your name is some of the older players. So, yeah, like, yeah. and it's, but, you know, Christian Fulton's hitting free agency. Yep. I just, I just don't know what to make of it, right? So oh, you yeah. draft, you, you trade out for Will Levis, theoretically. So he's in the building for a year and he's ready to hit the ground running next season if you drop him in there. But your offensive line is still bad. The defense is taking a significant step backward with some of the players that you're losing. So is now the defense going to be in a place where, you're going to compete in 2024 and 
if you weren't going to be a place where you could compete in 2024, why the urgency to go get the quarterback in this draft when yeah. theoretically you could absolutely be in a position to draft one in 2024. If they right. tear it down, this could be a top five team that's picking there. Okay. Let's say you have a top five pick in this draft. Does drafting Will Levis last year preclude you from taking a quarterback this year? It shouldn't, but is it going to? So I just, they are such a confounding team and I don't think they know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think they know what this was, how all of this was supposed to unfold. I truly don't. If you look yeah. at the set of choices that were made and I don't think you, ha- we have to live in this world where it's black and white, where you have to be competing or you have to tear it down. Right. I think we have plenty of examples to the contrary over the last few years, but even a team like the lions, you could see it, right? Like the lions didn't go out and sign Deandre Hopkins when they were at the first stage of their rebuild, because when you're making moves like that, you're cutting off pathways to young guys getting those reps. There's no need to sign 31-year-old stopgap players when you are not on the verge of competing. And I think they thought they were, but I think anyone who really understood it knew that they weren't. And I think now they're kind of living with the consequences of trying to exist in both of those worlds at the same time. A GM said to me this summer, they tried to jump back on the train without it ever slowing down. And that's just really hard to do. And that's what this team feels like right now. They they wanted to rip off the band aid and then they got it a little bit. And they're like, no, that hurts. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Okay, yeah, that, no, we're good. But it's this is how it's felt every step of the way. They've been confounding. We haven't. We were waiting for them to like plan a step. We did a show, I think, in February or March. Yeah. And it was like Titans and Vikings. Okay, where what are we doing? at with you? Where where are we at with you? Okay. So and if you look at the moves the Vikings made, step of the way. Okay. If you look at the moves the Vikings made, it started Vi- to make sense. The Vikings had two splashes in free agency. They signed two guys. Yep. Marcus Davenport and Byron yep. Murphy. Go yep. look how old Marcus Davenport and Byron Murphy and those, are and look at what those contracts look like. And those were by low with upside because those guys have injury history, but they're talented. So and they're young. Like, okay, if we get, so if, they, if you get them in the building they and hit. they hit, you re-sign them, you just keep on going. And yep. other than that, it was all in service of the timeline. And the Titans and not, were not that. And not mortgaging future picks and not, you know. I know it's it's that's that it's tough it's tough because it's just every step of the way you feel oh, they took an offensive lineman in the first round I was like there you go ah and then the second round they trade up for Levis and it's like okay never mind here we go and then they take a third and the, the the back they took is great Spears I like Spears but they take him in the third round it's like kind of need some depth elsewhere guys yeah it just it maybe, didn't make maybe sense another to me. offensive lineman yeah another <laughs> maybe, or, maybe you know, another anything. offensive lineman all right. It's time for win my fourth screen. This is your guys' arguments for which very sad, depressing game belongs on the fourth screen of the early slate. This one is from Paul Weber. It says, Packers fan here. I'm a farmer in Columbia, Missouri. Mizzou grad from 2009, the news writing focus. I'm dusting off my worthless degree to give you some breaking news from the Packers fan base. The Packers are a terrible football team, and we are now in football hell. So one of my friends here is a Bears fan. I told him that the Packers suck and that they needed to fire everyone and start over. He said, welcome to my nightmare. I laughed and remarked, hey, at least I can get some joy out of watching the Lions get crushed by the Ravens, finding joy and pain of other teams. I must have struck a nerve because this is the response I got. It's so fucked up how you're just discovering this. Why the fuck do you think I hate the Packers? You never had to just hope that other teams struggle because your team is trash. He's right. We didn't. And now we do. We are in hell. And as part of our punishment each week, we are subjected to the fire. Fire the head coach, fire the GM, fire Joe Barry, fire the defensive line coach. No one will be spared from the punishment. Fire everywhere, consuming us all. These are the sinister environs a Bears fan would recognize. 
And now you have the chance to watch us get tormented on national TV on Halloween weekend, no less. Don't watch to see a good game. Watch for the sick pleasure of seeing us bludgeoned and scorched by the Minnesota Vikings. That zombie franchise itself doomed to wander the earth in cursed agony. Watch this game to see our team of plucky teenagers get circled and overrun by a swarm of horned goblins. The Packers will lose this game. Cam Akers will run for 175 yards. Kenny Clark will somehow end up in man-to-man coverage on Jordan Addison. In his post-game <laughs> press conference, Matt LaFleur will tell us things will change, and we won't believe him. Things never change in hell. You just continue to burn. The arrogant bully of the NFC North is finally getting his comeuppance. Once blissfully unaware of his good fortune, he is now humiliated and punished in front of the cameras each week. You can surely glean some sadistic pleasure watching our offensive genius coach dial up a bunch of ill-fated screens, our O-lines stumble around like drunken clowns, and our fourth-year multimillion-dollar quarterback of the future miss (laughs) wide-open reads and deep throws. It will be a spectacle of shame in the present moment, tinged with the dreadful anticipation of more losses on the horizon. Then you can conclude the evil spectacle by watching our fan base cannibalize itself online, losing our hope and our dignity in the process. We will devolve into a writhing mat of vipers, hissing while declaring each other fairweather fans, bandwagon jumpers, entitled whiners, and worse. You can witness all of this knowing full well that we deserve it for our ingratitude all these years. Woo! I, I really wanted a Packers one because we haven't done it yet. And watching them slowly lose their collective minds on the internet oh. has been one of the best parts of this season. I'm so not used to it. And, and like, you know, stuff that with the Badgers going on with, in, in their world too, for at least last year, it's, it's been interesting because I have a lot of mutuals, a lot of, uh, a lot of Wisconsin and Packers fans on my timeline. So I, it's been interesting to me because I know like when I tweet like a, a like a Drake May clip or a Caleb Williams clip, and then I see what the screen grabs are, the team, like the, or the Jersey <laughs> photoshops are. And for, for a minute, it was, you know, bears, of course, obviously you know, uh, Cardinals, you know, we're in there. Um, and not also, anymore with Tyson you know, Bajan. No, no, of course not. Okay. And then I saw, you know, Vikings fans kind of crop up for a week or two. And I was like, okay, that one makes sense. You know, we talked about them and then Patriots fans and then now Packers fans are jumping in there. And I'm like, oh, I know what fan base is starting to look at next year's draft. You've talked about it, but. I've also wondered, it's like this, you know, all these fans, there's so many fans for a team that's in a, a town of 100,000 people that, you know, just there's so many of them, so many people from Green Bay. And it's like, you know, that's, you know, probably not because they were good, right? So it's kind of, it's good. It's been very interesting for at least for me to watch. My Vikings original fandom is coming out a little bit right now. Uh, let's stick with some sadness here and get to a wins league <laughs> update after last week. I'm now down by four. I okay. The Bills loss was just devastating. The Bills loss yeah. and then the two-game swing with the Chiefs beating the Chargers. I'm now four games in the hole. We each had one team on by last week. The four games seems insurmountable. Like the fact that the Chargers are going to do me in in this exercise is the most appropriate. I've never deserved a fate more than than the Chargers being is, the team that just destroys me cruel. here. I, I, I never ha- I never have deserved it more. I, I This is so on me. I hate myself a little bit every single time I watch their games and – I, this is what I deserve. Like, there's just no yeah. way around it. I, I deserve every single bit of this. And we are careening toward me having to endure this punishment during Super Bowl week. And I'm just not looking forward to it at all. We're like four months away now, three and a half months away. It's starting to feel real. Like I said, you took a lot of volatile stocks in, in that, in that draft. And I, the Jags I, I are fine. For, the Jags are fine. Ja- exactly. That's what it sparked it. But you went Chargers Jags back to back. And I was like, Ooh, I'm fucking asking like, for it. I really, I took the bonds. I'm just, I took I'm, the bonds. I'm the Chiefs a, are a I'm bond. I'm such an idiot. 
I'm I'm <laughs> such an idiot. I, I just God, it's that is kind of fitting, and I, I love too the journey that we've taken with, maybe with the Bengals too. Oh, you know they're kind of fraudulent. Oh no, they're actually good. They're really good. Hey, look what they're doing, and then you're like, yeah, I'm in on them, and then get popped by that too. They're coming around though. So we'll see. I still don't feel good about it. All right. It's time for Tyson's Touts. Your, right. th- your three favorite <laughs> picks of the week. Speaking of sadness. For 9, third, 12, third and 1 on the season. Woo! Give me your three 9, games for this week. One. Let's do it. That sounds weird. Uh, okay. This week, Patriots and Dolphins game. Talked about it. taking the Patriots plus nine and a half at the Dolphins. Oh, just because those Dolphins injuries. I think just the Patriots can muck it up. Can you just close. love Mac Jones, man. You're just in on Mac <sighs> Jones. I'm not out on him. I, I can't believe I've become a Mac Jones apologist. That means you're in. If you're not know, out right? compared to everyone else, that means That's you're it, in. right? That's right. He's the best. I think he's going to be an MVP. That's exactly how it goes. If you say a guy doesn't suck, that's what happens. All right. Speaking of a guy that used to say doesn't suck, and look how right it was, Jaguars, minus two and a half at the Steelers. Going to go with, yeah, I think the Jaguars are a very good team. I think the Steelers offense, I went back and watched them. I was I had some hope. The hope was obliterated after I watched that tape. Do like the defense, though, but I'm going to go Jaguars minus two and a half. I think it'll be a fun game. Um, also, if the Jags don't win that game, I don't know how I'm going to react. I am not going to want to do the show on Sunday night. Stewards do. But also, I have some great memories of the Jags winning at what used to be Heinz Field. So, also, I um, love those mid 2000s Jags Steelers games. So did I. I love love those mid 2000s Jags teams. We've talked about Mm this. The, um, Oh my God! Who was the John other Henderson. defensive tackle? John Henderson, Marcus Stroud, yep. uh, yeah, Daryl Smith, and Mike Peterson as the two linebackers. Those those David Carrard teams. Fred Taylor in the offensive line was pretty decent, and then mm-hmm. in the back end, Rasheen Mathis. I saw a clip of Rasheen Mathis picking off a pass against the Steelers today on Twitter. I was like, ah, that that really brings me back. I loved those teams. So that this matchup does it holds something for me. It really does. It does. Good. I I. I I know this is just yeah, it's a game that's burning my brain because they that 2007 season they won at Pittsburgh late in the season and then in the playoffs and then they I got was convinced absolutely. they were going to beat the Patriots. I was convinced. And they got <laughs> Tom Brady shredded them. It was like 25 <laughs> to 25 in that game or something crazy like that. It was, it was ridiculous. ridiculous. I got to hold on. Sorry, I know we're going long, but I got to look it up now. All right, because I'm on it anyways. 26 28, 262 yards, three touchdowns, one sack for four yards. They just and played a that, ton of soft zone. Like they just played mm-hmm, soft zone the quarters. entire game, and he just he just picked them apart but the entire game. This is the difference between spot drop quarters and match quarters. Is uh, got a lot of soft spots for Tom Brady to attack. Like we, like we mentioned earlier today, defense is getting better. Defense yes. is getting better. Bringing it all Same around. Right there. All right. Boom! Nice. There we go. Okay, last pick. Uh, Texans minus three and a half at the Panthers. Uh, that's. I'm just gonna uh, leave it at that. Poor Panthers fans, man. Poor Panthers know. fans. But guess what? Their pain is my joy. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's so weird. You leech. You're you're like the op- yeah no it's, it's like all I got you it's Packers, all I got you can't fault Packers me. fourth screen I've Panthers. endured so much so okay much. leave me alone I've endured so much give you me have. these two things you've had some rough ones I know that's me in baseball with the Mariners it's, <laughs> it's just like just let me enjoy anything right now <laughs> got a fun Thursday night game we got the yeah. very weird Bucks defense going up against the Bills uh literally anything can happen I, I, I that that side of the ball agreed. specifically anything could happen. If Anything. you want to hear us talk about that game, we will have a video by the time you listen to this, most likely, on our YouTube channel, Breaking Down Bucks Bills. So please come check that out. 
Please listen to everything that we released on the Podcast Network this week. A lot of really good stuff. Really fun episode of In the Pocket with Chase Daniel. Had a blast talking with Chase about some stories from his career. Talked about Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins this week. Really, really good episode of Prospects to Pros. I would say that to Nate's face and did earlier this week. Talking about the 2024 quarterback class. So much great stuff from those two weirdos. And just talking about all those guys, just the the sicko element of that podcast with you and Dane right now is phenomenal. So please go check that out. For now, that is all we've got. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.